This is a message from the ministry of the International Baptist Church of Debrecen. For more information about our church, visit ibcdebrecen.com. Good afternoon, everyone. All right. Let's begin uh, by looking at a passage in John chapter 15 and verses 1 through 5. So it says, in, starting in verse 1 of John chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The vine. One of the things I, I like about the I am's is their exclusivity. If you look at uh, all of the I am's, it's I am the. It's not I am a, or I am one of many. It's I am the. So Jesus is the vine. He's the one who connects us with the Father. The only way we can come to the Father is through him or by him. And we see it's ta he's talking to the disciples here, and he's reminding them that they need to abide in him. They need to stay in him. If you look at that word uh, abide, it means to live, to continue, to remain in. Uh, so to abide in Christ is to remain in him, to stay connected to him. Uh, we could look at passages uh, where we see disciples who turn back from him. Uh, one of the, the common ones, or right, right in this book of John, was when Jesus had, was speaking to them and he had just performed a miracle and fed many people. And, uh, and then he, had spo he spoke to the disciples and he said, you know, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you don't, you, you can't be part part of me, part of this kingdom. And many of them turned back at that point. Many of his disciples, it says, turned back and stopped following him. And then he spoke to Peter and said, are you going to turn back too, or the disciples? And Peter said, who else will we go to? You're the only one was the one with the words of eternal life. Uh, but we see this pattern of people who, they were following Jesus. They were even called disciples, right? They were students of Jesus. But they turned back because they didn't have that real connection with the Father. They didn't abide. Um, they weren't connected in that way. In John, First uh, John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Let's look at that. It says, But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought also to walk in the same way in which he walked. All right, so one of the evidences of abiding in Christ is that we have a walk that's like Christ. So if we want to say, I abide in him, we, we should look like Christ. That's, that's the desire of God. He's conforming us to the image of his son. His son is the perfect example of the Christian life. Uh, all throughout the book of John, uh, we could look at many verses, but all throughout the book of John, Jesus was saying things like, I can't do anything except what I see the Father doing. I only do what he tells me to do. We see the Father empowering him. He sent, he sent the Spirit upon him at his baptism. 
and empowered him. Je Jesus made himself man and became just like us. And then he made himself dependent on his Father and on the Spirit. He, he submitted himself in that way. And so he was the perfect example for us to follow. Uh, so when people look at us, they should see his life in us. But how does that happen? I'd like to look at that. Um, in John chapter 15, verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So again, the evidence of being a disciple is fruit-bearing. But how is that fruit produced in the life of a believer? How does it happen? In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it involves that. It definitely involves doing good things. That's, that's one of the things that we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah, so good things. Walking, it's about the control of the Spirit in our lives, right? In fact, uh, it said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. That's another way of saying it, being filled with the Spirit. It's to be under the control of the Spirit. If you drink alcohol, you could become under the control of alcohol. It can affect your actions, your thinking. But if you're controlled by the Spirit, it should do the same thing. It should be affecting your, your actions, your thoughts, you know, your motives. Everything should be affected by that. So if we walk in the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. All right, so what, what would that look like? Let's, let's take a look at that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit. So if we're talking about a vine, if we're talking about abiding in Christ, if we're talking about walking in the Spirit, um, and the fruit of the Spirit, then the things that we should see in the life are those things uh, that God produces, that the Spirit produces. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there's no law. You can do those things as much as you want. <laughs> the more, the better, right? There's no law against that. To, to do good things, to love, to have joy, to have peace, to be patient and kind, uh, faithful. You know, all of those things. No, no law. There's never been a law written that was against those things in the Bible. All right. In Matthew, uh, speaking of love, the first one. In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Now what he's saying, the entire Bible depends on that, that we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all of our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Love, the greatest commandments. The whole Bible can be summed up in that. Right? God manifested himself in the flesh when he became Jesus. Why did he do that? Because he so loved the world. He did it because of love. Um, all right, so that sums up all the commandments. In 1 Corinthians, talking about love, 
What does love look like? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away, and tongues they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. So love, it never passes away, right? It goes on forever. God will always love us. It endures all things, right? So that's what love is. And we see that with the love of God. In fact, Christ said not only did he love us, but he tells us even to love our enemies, you know, God proved his love for us and while, while, in that while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. So while we were still separated from him, we were on the other side. We were in the, the enemy group. We weren't in God's friend group, in his children group. Uh, when we were in that group, opposed to God, he loved us so much that he died for us. Because that's what love does. It doesn't seek its own way. It's not self-seeking. All right. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, talking about joy, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. So to have joy, to have the joy of the Lord in our lives. When we look at the apostles, there were times when they were enduring all kinds of suffering and persecution, right? Beaten, thrown into prison. We see sometimes they're in prison and they start singing and then the, the shackles are released, they're freed. You know, th things like this going on. In the midst of all of their suffering, they were still finding joy uh, because it's from the Lord. It's not dependent on circumstances. It's not dependent on that. It's dependent on our connection with the Lord on abiding in him. So that joy comes from the Lord. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, it says, Not only this, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us. All right, so we can even rejoice in sufferings. In fact, we're told to. Right? We're told to do that because we understand that even in suffering, God's going to produce good in our lives. Uh, suffering is a means for God sometimes to perfect us. When Paul was suffering and he prayed to the Lord three times asking him to remove this, the thing that was causing him to suffer, God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, right? And then Paul goes on to say at different times that I rejoice in my infirmities, right? So that the power would rest on God. Um, so Paul, because of his experiences, you know, his he said he was caught up to the third heaven. Well, he, he saw visions, he saw things too wonderful to even talk about and to describe. And because of that, God allowed him to be humbled. And in that, 
brought, up, brought about good because humility is a good thing. It's one of the characteristics of Christ. Right? So even in that, Paul says rejoice in that. Um, he, he suffered plenty. You know, we could, we could look at in Corinthians and other places where he lists things that he suffered. All right. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So we should rejoice in truth. Truth should be something that brings us joy. To, to know the truth, to speak the truth, to live according to truth, that should bring us joy. So we shouldn't redo, rejoice in what is wrong, in wrongdoing. Um, the world often has that backwards. Right? We see it all the time. You know, watch the news. There's <laughs> a lot of rejoicing in bad things that goes on in the world. But we shouldn't rejoice in that. We should only rejoice in the truth. And, and like was, what was spoken earlier, we know the future, right? Our, our trials are temporary, momentary, um, you know, and they're produ- producing within us, you know, the, the likeness of Christ. God is, God is working out his will and purpose even through those things. Okay, the next one is peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace. God's peace. So when Christ came, he made peace between us and God. For those of us who have accepted the sacrifice of Christ in faith, for those of us who know him as our Savior, we have peace with God. We have peace. There's no longer any enmity, any, any strife, any struggle, anything that separates us from God. We now have peace with him. Before that, the Bible says we were enemies. We were at war with God. Whether we knew it or not, I didn't know I was God's enemy. <laughs> I didn't know it until I started reading the Bible and started finding out stuff about myself that I didn't know before. And that was a scary thing. You don't want to be God's enemy, right? I mean, the good thing is he loves his enemies. And he tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, for example. Um, and he was the greatest display of that, loving us. And, but because of knowing his love for us and knowing his sacrifice for us and that it, it accomplished all of God's design to draw us back into relationship with him, now we know we can have peace with him. And so we shouldn't have troubled hearts. We shouldn't have troubled hearts in relation to our Father. Right? Because we have peace with him. We don't need to be afraid or be troubled. All right, patience. Patience is another fruit of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Patience. We all need people to be patient with us, right? We all need to be patient with one another. Sometimes we miscommunicate with one another. Sometimes we have differences, and the differences could, could cause us to, to have trouble or problems between us. But we're told to be patient because God is patient with us. He's always patient with us. Right? Because he sees what he's doing in our lives. Right? He's, like, he's like a farmer. He, plant, he plants the seed. 
He waters it. He's out there pulling weeds out. He knows in the end it's going to produce a crop. He sees the end. So that, that patience that God has for us, that's a patience that He desires to produce in us toward other people as well. So we should have that patience knowing that God is working in the lives of those around us. He's working to perfect them. Um, yeah. So that's God's work. And we should, we should uh, live in that patience toward one another. All right, kindness. I opened my water. All right, kindness. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. All right, kindness. I mean, we could, we, could, we could exposit on these words too. There's some other ones in here. Humility and meekness as well. Compassion. But kindness. We're told to be kind to one another. Right? To be kind. So it's an outward expression. You know, we talked about being patient. You can be patient with somebody and it's not necessarily expressing anything outward. But to be kind to those people as well. The, the ones we're being patient with. Um, you know, so acts of kindness. When I think about this, I think about the, the stranger on, on the road, not the stranger on the road to Emmaus, the Good Samaritan. I'm confusing my stories. So the Good Samaritan, right? So we see that this man, he was traveling. He gets beaten up and robbed, and then people are just passing him by. Right? And then the Samaritan comes along, and he sees him. And he goes and, and takes him, puts him on his own donkey, uh, binds him up, takes him to an inn and gives some money and says, take care of this man. That was an act of kindness. He was showing kindness to somebody who should have been his enemy in the, in the eyes of many people in those days. There was uh, racial problems that aren't, aren't new. They've been going on for ages. So that was a situation where it was shocking to the disciples, right? A Samaritan is doing this. And it was a rebuke. He was, he was attempting to rebuke those who felt that way because there were, there were those who were looking at uh, the Samaritans and looking down on them because of their heritage, where they were from and, and where they lived. All right. So kindness. God is always kind to us. All right, goodness. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So goodness. God desires that we not neglect being good. In fact, it says if you know something good that you should do and you don't do it, it's actually sin. right? For the person who knows that. So doing good to one another that's something that God has designed for us. He gives us opportunities to do that. Even something simple. The Bible says if you, you give a cup of cold water to somebody in my name, you know, it's like you've done it unto me. It's, it's just an act of goodness to, to give water to somebody who's thirsty, who needs it. Right? And we shouldn't neglect that. Don't neglect to be good and to do good. Don't neglect to share what you have. God is pleased with those kinds of sacrifices. Sometimes it's sacrificial, right? 
You have to go out of your way to do it sometimes. Maybe it costs you something. Um, if you ever wonder about uh, <laughs> costing you something, just think about what, what God uh, paid for us, right? The cost that he paid. All right, faithfulness. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So faithfulness. Jesus was faithful to his purpose. Right? Before the foundations of the world, he knew what was going to take place. He's always known. Right? He knew before the fall what was going to happen and made plans for it. And it's required um, for us as stewards that we are faithful also. So stewards, what are we stewards of? One of the things we're stewards of is the mysteries of God, right? The truth of God. When it talks about mystery, one of the mysteries in the Bible is the church itself, right? Jews and Gentiles, one new body. It was a mystery. We can't find it in the Old Testament. They didn't know about it in the Old Testament. It was a mystery. And we're called to be faithful stewards of that. So that means go and make disciples, right? Go and make disciples of all nation, nations. T to teach, to preach, to use your gifts in ministry. You know, whatever, however the Lord has gifted you, you use that in ministry toward other people because it's the Lord's desire that we be found faithful. All right, gentleness. I'm moving kind of quick. All of these could have their own sermon. <laughs> but uh, gentleness. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Gentleness. To be gentle. Yeah. It's one thing to speak the truth. It's another thing to speak it with gentleness. It's, it's one thing to correct somebody. It's another thing to correct people with gentleness. You know, this gentleness, it's, it's showing that you really care about the other person. You're not just trying to correct some behavior or trying to, to do whatever. You're, you're doing it with gentleness. Um, just like God is gentle with us. Right? The shepherd... When you look at the shepherd of the sheep, um, the good shepherd passage was something I, I spoke on a couple weeks ago. But the shepherd was gentle with his sheep. Do you know if you're not gentle with sheep, you can kill them? They're re really easily traumatized. So you have to be gentle with them. You have to care for them. Sometimes the shepherds would get up, pick them up and carry them. They were just being gentle with them. So that's important. God is gentle with us, which is a good thing. If he brought the hammer down on us every time we, we did something wrong, we would be in trouble, right? But he doesn't do that. He's gentle with us. He continuously is prompting us and reminding us of his truth, of his word, um, because he's gentle. He's, take, he's taking care of us in that way. All right, self-control. 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, verses 25 to 27. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So do not run aimlessly. 
I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So self-control. Right? We shouldn't be saying one thing and doing another thing. Right? I shouldn't be saying, this is what's right and true, and you should all do this, and then over here I'm doing something else. Um, we should have self-control in that. So it's like an athlete, as he shares here. It's disciplining ourselves. Paul, Paul talked about beating his body. Not literally. But he's talking about beating his body, making it his slave, so that he would have control over it. Um, when we talk about walking in the Spirit, the other side is walking in the flesh. And the Bible says the deeds of the flesh, it needs to be put to death. It's the old man. When, when the Bible says that we were crucified with Christ, it's talking about that old man. We should consider him to be dead. So that means we don't give in to those things anymore. The sin and the selfishness. Um, we don't give in to that. We consider it dead. Like an athlete would. When an athlete's in training, he's not like eating cake. Well, maybe if he's a certain like a, a American football lineman or a sumo wrestler or something, maybe he's eating cake. But they're not eating stuff that's bad for them in their sport, right? They're doing stuff to discipline themselves, to make themselves the most effective uh, at being an athlete. And we as Christians are called to exercise self-control as well. We should be doing things that are going to benefit us as believers because God desires that we should be light and salt and that we should be disciple makers in, in this world, that we should be leading people to him sharing his words of love, sharing his words of grace to other people. But to do that, we have to have self-control. Otherwise, we ruin the testimony. They should be seeing Jesus being formed in us, but if we're living that, that life, we're, we're marring, we're, we're ruining that image. And we might be a stumbling block. He wrote to the Corinthians, uh, saying that there were people that don't have a knowledge of God, and I say this to your shame. He was saying that because... They had gotten so tangled in, in sin and not lack of self-control that they were actually uh, destroying the testimony of the church. So it's really important that we exercise self-control. All right, about disciples. <laughs> in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So love. Again, the most important commandment, to love God and to love our neighbors. Right? And by that, people will know that we're disciples. We, could, we don't need to have all the knowledge in the world. right? But if we have love, people are going to see the Lord through that. All right, they're going to know that we're his disciples. And then we make disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All right. So we're told to make disciples. So when we're making disciples, they should see within us 
the fact that God has made us his disciples. Some, sometimes uh, we see in the Bible that people looked at the disciples and they're like, oh, those guys were with Jesus. They just recognize it. They see by looking at them and looking at their actions, those guys were with Jesus. And then it clicks. Oh, now I understand. Right? And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't say, follow me. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. So what he's, what he's saying is, as you see the image of Christ formed in me, follow that. Because you're not following me, you're following Christ. Paul, Paul wrote, <laughs> picking on the Corinthians here, Paul wrote to them, he said, you guys are saying some follow Apollo, some follow Cephas, Peter, some, some follow Paul. And he's like, Christ isn't divided. So if, if you're following Christ, you know, if you're following any of those guys, it should be the image of Christ that you're following. It should be the teachings of Christ because Christ isn't divided. All right. The last passage. The character of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that so powerfully works within me. So the goal, the goal to present the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles which is in Christ. Right? He's the hope of glory. So our hope of eternity, our hope of heaven, our hope of being freed from sin and death, that's Christ. And the desire is that we should display that in our lives. So Paul said for this, he's, he's toiling and struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. So it's God who works within us to will and to do His good pleasure. Right? So it's not, it's not our own energy. The thing about abiding in Christ, the thing about walking in the Spirit, uh, being filled with the Spirit, being under His control, is that it's God's energy that works through us. It's God doing the work. We're just yielding ourselves to Him. That's our part in it. Submitting ourselves to Him, yielding to Him. As he prompts us, then we, then we move, we speak, we act. That, that's how we display it. We're not, we're not on our own. You can, we can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit produces fruit in us. We don't produce it. It's produced in us by the Spirit. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your wisdom. I thank you for putting us in your Son. I pray help us to yield ourselves up to him. I pray help us to die to self and to live to righteousness. Help us to be yielded and submitted to your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you didn't leave us alone, but you sent another comforter, that he leads us into all truth, that he reveals to us your wisdom and your plan, that he gives us direction that he confirms to us the truth of your word, how you love us, how you placed us in a body, 
how you desire to live your life through us. I pray, help us to throw off everything that hinders us and to run with endurance the race that's before us because your son, who was the author and perfecter of our faith, he went before us and we see the outcome of his life. He lived a faithful life, a life of submitting himself to you, a life of godliness so that he could be a worthy sacrifice for our sins. And now he sat down at your right hand. I thank you so much that you've begun a work in us, that you've promised to carry that work on. You're going to conform us to the image of your son. I pray help us to be patient with one another because you're patient with us, Father. You're continuously working in us. And because we're your children, uh, we know that we should be patient with one another just like you're patient with us because we need your patience, Father. I thank you that you never forsake us, that you never leave us, and that you're always working to minister in our lives so that you can effectively reach this lost world, Lord. I thank you that eternity will be a place where we're filled with joy and praise of you and glorifying you because of your great wisdom and your great love for us. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for lending us your ears and your time today. If your curiosity has been piqued and you'd like to learn more about our church and the work we do, please feel free to visit our website at ibcdebretson.com. Better yet, we warmly invite you to join us in person and experience our community firsthand. We look forward to welcoming you 